Have a seat. Welcome, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome back. I guess welcome myself back. I've been the one that has been gone. Uh, Pastor Megan and Larry and I uh, headed back to North Carolina. As you know, we are planting, you heard from Pastor Megan, we are going to be planting our first church plant in uh, Port Orchard. And uh, we wanted to go back and learn from those who've already done it. We visited a church that has planted three churches, and, on, and they are number four. They're pregnant with number four, and, uh, and their plans are just to continue going. And we, it was pretty intense, but boy, did we learn a lot. It was also very encouraging for us to realize that we're on a good track. They're excited about this. They want to be a part of it. They want to be invested in what we're going to do. So we will keep you posted, but that's where we have been. Uh, but it's always good to be home. I always miss being with uh, my church family. And uh, man, this is great worship this morning. So good to see you. And particular thanks to Pastor Ellis and to Julie Hawkins for an incredible job in the pulpit while I was gone. So, don't you agree? I kept calling her Pastor Julie last night. Well, it's only a matter of time, because, but it was great. So thank you, friends, for, for doing that. We're going to continue in our sermon series uh, that we're calling Sick of Religion. If you've ever had a friend that said, uh, I'm just sick of institutional religion, or maybe you even said that yourself, uh, then uh, you're in really good company. It turns out, as we're discovering in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was pretty sick of religion too. At least he was pretty sick of the religious leaders and all of the rules and all of their judgments and all of the, all of the shenanigans that they were trying to pr- perform on him. Uh, as a reminder, Ju- Julie told us last week, Jesus was something of a rock star at the time, and it's a, probably a pretty good description. Everywhere he went, he was mobbed with people. They couldn't get enough of him. They couldn't get enough of his teaching. They couldn't get enough of his healing touch and watching as he restored people to new life. But perhaps the most spectacular thing that people watched Jesus do again and again and again was when he did battle with the evil forces, the spiritual forces of darkness. Now, if you're new to us, uh, never walked through our doors, you might say, whoa, what's he talking about here? This stuff about the spiritual forces and Satan, all of that might seem kind of, kind of far-fetched to you. And I understand it is unusual. We don't have the time to go into it this morning, but I will tell you that we preached an entire series on this called Spiritual Warfare. If you're interested in finding out more about this, you could go online and, and type in chapelhillpc.org forward slash uh, spiritual warfare. But to sum it up, we actually believe this stuff. We believe in a God, of course, and we believe in Jesus, but we also believe that there is a dark side, a Satan, a, a devil, and uh, there are spiritual forces at work in this world. And, and a big part of what Jesus' ministry was about was declaring his authority over these things. It was an astounding thing for the people to see him again and again take authority over these spiritual forces that were vexing these poor souls. It's summed up in Mark chapter 3 verse 11 when Mark writes, Whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! I guess it was a dead giveaway when he's walking along the road and suddenly people are throwing themselves on the ground and crying out, You are the Son of God! He dead giveaway what was going on there. And not only was Jesus, did Jesus have the authority, the power to do this? Even more amazingly, he gave it to his disciples too. A few verses later, we read that he appointed 12 whom he called apostles so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So even if this freaks you out a little bit, even if this is something you've never heard, I just need to tell you, Jesus believed in it. 
The apostle Paul believed in it, and, and we believed in it. And we want to talk about that. And even as you're trying to sort through this, would you just enter into it with your imagination for a moment? Imagine that you're the one who has a child or a spouse who has been somehow stricken by these unusual spiritual forces. And without any warning, that beloved one, that loved one is thrown to the ground, paralyzed or convulsing before you. Their eyes are open but unseeing. Their mouths are open but they're speaking a language and words that you've never even heard before. How, much, how terrifying would that be? How haunting would that be? Now imagine that there is a man who came along who with a word could set that beloved one free. With a word could, could clean them all, of all of that. How astounding would that be? And wouldn't there be a sense that, of awe and gratitude that would sweep over the, over the top of you? Surely such a powerful act of deliverance would change the minds of even the greatest skeptics and soften even the hardest of hearts. Surely that would occur. Oh, that it were so. But as we discover, there are some who were not going to be softened at all. Our text for this morning as we continue in this series comes from Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And Jesus called to them and said to them in in parables, Can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom will not stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house unless first he binds the strong man. Then he will be able to plunder his goods. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, this is a uh, difficult word, an unusual and hard thing for us to hear, and yet it is hopeful for us as we see the Lord Jesus taking on evil for our sakes. Would you speak to us this day that it might become life to us, that your word might become fresh, real, and clear to us, for we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. I think every time you read the word scribe in Mark it's a bad deal. I could be wrong, but I think every time you read Scribe, these are the religious power brokers. These are the guys with the black hat in Mark's story. And as we have watched them in these last few weeks, they are becoming more and more and more aggressive in their opposition to Jesus. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ellis preached an incredible story of how Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And it was a remarkable healing, but it made the scribes so furious that we read that they conspired with their age-old enemies to kill Jesus. Think about that. 
Jesus sees this guy with a withered hand. He restores it. But instead, and they see it with their own eyes, but instead of celebrating this good thing, because the healing took place on a Saturday, it was a violation of their rules, and they were ready to destroy Jesus for it. It's crazy. And we see something of that continuing in our story today. They watch Jesus casting evil spirits out of people. They watch Jesus setting people free, spiritually. They should have been celebrating what God was doing. But they so hate Jesus, they are so twisted in their despite of Jesus, that they come up with a perverted and twisted explanation of how Jesus is able to do these things. Did you see what that explanation was? Jesus can cast out evil spirits because Jesus is possessed by the devil. Jesus Christ is possessed, they said, by Beelzebul. It's not a word you probably considered for naming your children when they were born, Pretty good thing. Beelzebul means the Lord of the Flies. Have you ever read that book? The Lord of the Flies. It might also be translated the Lord of the Dung Heap. I grew up on a little farm outside of Yakima, and there was a big cattle ranch right next door. I know dung heaps. They had a big old dung heap. In summertime especially, you could smell it, and you could see the flies. I felt like I was Beelzebul, the Lord of the Flies. It was It was bad. This is what they were saying. These are the crass words that they were saying about him. And the scribes were essentially saying, listen, everything Jesus does is BS. Straight from the pit of hell. They couldn't deny that Jesus was doing incredible things, but instead they said, they decided to turn this beautiful act of deliverance into something that was a a satanic conspiracy. They said, the only reason Jesus can do this is he's got the devil himself. He's the one that's possessed. He casts out evil spirits because he himself has a powerful evil spirit. How twisted, right? Jesus responds in a pretty impressive way. First of all, and I hadn't even noticed this until... I was looking again at it last night. Keep reading the word. You see new things every time. It says that Jesus called them to come to him. And then he said some things to them in peril. But but imagine that. Here's Jesus standing here. Here's this group of of religious hotshots. Jesus looks over and he sees them talking. Sees what they're saying and says, You, come here. That's pretty impressive. And they come with their little tails between their legs. They come up and do just what he tells them to do. And so he gets them there in front of them, and then Jesus asks this interesting question. He says, how does the devil cast himself out? How does the devil cast himself out? You've all seen westerns where someone is thrown out of the saloon. But you've never seen someone throw himself out of the saloon. And that's the point that Jesus is making. This is crazy talk. And anyhow, why would he want to do it? It would be like dividing a kingdom against itself. It doesn't make any sense, Jesus says. And then he goes on to to teach using a very disturbing illustration. He talks about your house being robbed. I remember a few years ago going out and finding the window to my car broken my remote control stolen, as well as the uh, vehicle registration. And it turns out that they went to the address on the vehicle registration, used my remote control to open the garage door, and they pillaged the place. Any of you been robbed, had your house robbed? Raise your hands. It's not pleasant, is it? 
And as terrifying as that, that, might, that experience might be, imagine what it's like for those who have these invasion robberies where they come in and they, they threaten you and they beat you until you tell them where all of the, the treasures are. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the parable. He says the only way that you can really rob a house with a big strong guy there is that you've got to bind the strong man first. And then you can rob it. Then you're going to be free to plunder the place, as he puts it. That's a disturbing image from Jesus who normally talks about sheep and lambs and that sort of thing. I mean, that's, but here's when it gets even disturbing. Who is the plunderer? Who is the burglar in this story? Yes! Who said that? Finally, I got someone called out. Yes! Jesus is the plunderer here. Jesus is the burglar. He's the one who breaks into the house and binds the strong man and plunders the place. We say, wow, wait a second. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, putting on a mask and coming in, breaking into a house and plundering. That doesn't make any sense. Think about what he's saying. Who is the strong man in the house? Yes, it's the devil. It's the devil that Jesus is talking about. John says that the devil is the ruler of this world. Paul says the devil is the god of this world. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, Satan got a foothold in this world, which explains all of the evil that we've experienced around the world and down through the ages. It is why the Apostle James says, listen, the devil is like a roaring lion. He's prowling around seeking to destroy, to devour anyone he can get his teeth into. And then comes Jesus Christ. And he said, your time is done. That's enough. It is time to rein you in. It's time to put you in your place. It's time to to reclaim from you all that you have stolen. You are the Lord of the dung heap. You are the God of rotten things. But I have come to bring life and you have no power over me. When Jesus talks about binding the strong man, he is describing this battle that is taking place with Satan. He is the one who has come to to bind him, to subdue him, to defeat him, and utterly to destroy him ultimately. Every single person in the Gospels whom Jesus sets free, that's just one more defeat of the enemy. One more victory of life over rotting, stinking death. We might at first be a little disturbed to hear Jesus characterize himself as the one who has come to plunder until you realize he has come to plunder the plunderer. He has come to plunder the plunderer. It is Satan who seeks to steal our life and our joy and our peace from us. It is Satan who stores up our riches in his storehouse. But victorious Jesus has come to plunder the plunderer, to steal back from Satan that which he has taken from us, and to restore to us our life and our health and our joy and our peace and our relationships with the devil wants to take away. And how stupid, how wicked... How hateful of the scribes to look at these acts of spiritual goodness and call them evil. Call them demonic. Call them satanic. Which explains the next words out of Jesus' lips. And they would have made their cold, their their blood run cold. For he goes on to say, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Blasphemy means to speak sacrilegiously against a holy thing. 
Jesus says, look, God is willing to forgive just about anything, including blasphemy. You can say bad stuff against him. You can say bad stuff against me. But when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that will not stand. That will not be forgiven. And what does this mean? What is this unforgivable sin, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Let me set it for you in context once again. The scribes marched down from Jerusalem, 90 miles away, for the purpose of looking for trouble. They are seeking to destroy Jesus, and they want to trap him. They want to catch him so that they can kill him. And these these spiritual detectives show up, and when they witness these incredible acts of spiritual power, like people who are being delivered from demonic possession, instead of celebrating it for the good that it is, they declare it to be evil. They're so twisted in their spiritual perspective, they cannot even recognize the good work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's like spiritual inversion. They look at good, and they say evil. They look at light, and they see darkness. They look at purity, and they see filth. This is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is not a one-off thing. It's not a particularly bad thing that you did. It is not a one-time event. It is a process of spiritual decay. It is a persistent and ultimately permanent state of contempt for God. It is saying, my heart is hard. My eyes are blind. My soul is rotten. And I like it that way. Leave me be. And what Jesus says to those is that when you are so spiritually stubborn that you reject even the good things that the Holy Spirit wants to offer in life, then God's going to give you your wish. God will confirm you in your spiritual rottenness and you will reach a point where there is no turning back. In a sense, it's kind of a noble story this teaching of Jesus regarding the Holy Spirit. There are some theologians who talk about the Holy Spirit as the, um, as the feminine aspect of the triune God. I mean, we, male and female, were created in the image of God. And so there are some who think of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, as the feminine aspect of God. If that is true, and I kind of like it, if that is true, then what Jesus is really saying is this. You can say things, bad things about me. You can say bad things about Dad. But don't you badmouth Mom. <laughs> right? Don't you badmouth Mom. And this verse is one of the reasons that I have grown increasingly cautious in my older age of making fun of spiritual things that I do not understand, even that I find somewhat extreme. It is very tempting to mock flamboyant faith healers and flamboyant exorcists and to make fun of them. And I I know there are charlatans out there. God's going to take care of that. But the fact is that the Holy Spirit has always done crazy stuff. And often through wackos. The Holy Spirit spoke through An ass in the Old Testament, he does today. (laughs) We may look at things that we don't understand. Healings and acts of deliverance and miracles. And we might say, I'm not comfortable with that. Or I don't get that. Or I don't know how that fits. But when we say that's not from God, that's not of the Holy Spirit, you better be careful. You are walking on very dangerous territory. It is God who decides what he is going to do. And the Holy Spirit has always done crazy stuff through crazy people. He's going to continue to do it. And it is not for you to judge what God is doing through his Spirit. This idea, though, that there's something that can be unforgivable, it can be unsettling to people. 
Maybe it even unsettled you. Maybe it's the reason you came to church when you saw the blog. I got to find out if I did that one. I had kids when I was doing youth ministry who would come to me. I lost count of the number that would come to me and say, I think I committed the unforgivable sin. And so I said the same thing to them that I say to you. If you think you did, you didn't. Because the person who reaches that stage stage of spiritual degradation doesn't care. They wouldn't even think about it. If it even is on your mind, if the thought even crosses your mind, the good news is forgiveness is still yours. All sins, he said, will be forgiven of the children of man. All. And that is the offer that Christ makes to us. Jesus forgives. Jesus delivers. Jesus sets people free. And What is so cool, Jesus has come to plunder the plunderer, to bind the strong man and to restore to us all that has been stolen. This meal reminds us of that. Through his death, he's ransomed us to pay a debt that we could not pay. And when Jesus arose from the dead, which we will celebrate in a big time in two weeks, he defeated the strong man. He plundered hell and he stole back what had been stolen from him. His treasures. You and you and you and you and you and you and you. You're his treasures and he plundered you back. He's the plunderer of the plunderer. And that's what we're going to celebrate when we come to the table today. The price that Christ paid so that he can walk into hell and say, that's my stuff. I want it back. I invite you to come to the table. If you love Christ, this is your feast. If you've never said yes to Jesus, but you want to, even in this moment, you could say, I received that gift. Holy Spirit, I want you in my life. You can confess that and let this be your first act as a new believer in Jesus. Come, receive the sacrament, the table of God, for the people of God.